April 19th, 2018. Now, with all that said, you're listening to the Barack Obama approved world's greatest podcast, Hyphen Nation. And I'm your host, Kellen Conley. Welcome to another show. Um couple things happened yesterday, but I'm not going to get into them for personal reasons. But let me just say that God is great. Everybody in my family is safe and sound. And hashtag blessed is the best way for me to put that. I watched um, the new Drake video. What is it? Something for what? I can't think of what it is, but I watched the new Drake video, listened to the song, it's phenomenal, great Lauryn Hill sample, the last time he sampled Lauryn Hill was a little track that may you may have missed that I absolutely loved, and that was called Draft Day. Of course, there's many Johnny Manziel references on there because that was the year Johnny Manziel was going into the NFL draft. <sighs> Fun times, noodle salad. But I really like that Drake song. I, I was, I decided, nice for what? Decided to finally check that out last night and it was, woo! Let's just say a brother needed to dance last night, and I'm not going to lie, I was dancing. I was dancing. Having a little alcoholic beverage after a long unex- uh, a long day, you know? Woo! That song felt good. So I'm looking forward to that Scorpion album coming out in June. And speaking of Drake, if you have been watching Atlanta, Robin season, the second season of Atlanta, you need to smack yourself. Because it's been phenomenal. It has been absolutely wonderful this season. Most recent episode was a Van episode. I'm not going to spoil too much, but Van, like, see if you're planning on watching the season. Because, I mean, it, it's still airing. There's still a few episodes left in this season, I believe. New episode tonight. (laughs) But Van went out with some of her girls to a New Year's Eve party to go meet Drake at his mansion. Van gets to the mansion with her friends. Her friend that's responsible for them being there, getting them in. She leaves with the DJ and ends up leaving the party. So there's only three girls left. Van is with her one friend. They take some edibles before the other friend leaves with the DJ. The friend that she's with trips out on an edible. 
Van leaves her. Not a smooth move. And then promptly meets a dude. And then... I don't know why they go downstairs. He gave me a real creepy vibe, but at the same time, he also gave me a I'll take any woman that gives me attention vibe, which isn't always the same as creepy, but sometimes it is. So, uh, Van lost a friend. Meanwhile, the third friend sees uh, this black guy that she knows. He's, uh, he's famous for something. I forget what they said he did. But he has a white woman on his arm. Now, being in a racial uh, relationship, this perked my attention, of course. And her the, the friend had a moment alone with the white girl and unleashed his tirade about him, her basically having him as arm, being his arm candy and trying to take advantage of his fame and wealth and being a gold digger and then the girl comes back with maybe I'm just a good person and maybe I was there for him even before all this and maybe we're truly in love and that's not good enough for the black girl it was an interesting take on both sides of that fence um cause you got the the black perspective the angry black woman why y'all always taking our men that's why I can't find a good man cause all the white bitches be taking them and then you got the white girl perspective, the white perspective of, yeah, there's plenty of, plenty of people of all skin tones who try to get in relationships with people for financial gain or their own personal gain. But there's plenty of relationships between all different tones of people where it's truly a regular ass relationship in some cases it's love so I really appreciated that perspective even though it was played for comedy kinda I did enjoy that oh and then old boy came back after he had the black girl just screamed at the white girl and uh I obviously he knew that she was out of line the black girl like out of pocket but he ain't really defend this girl nothing but I mean at the same time was that an argument he could really win no <laughs> just keep it moving and enjoy yourself the rest of the night and stay away from crazy sheesh so Van loses the creepy dude the lovesick puppy dude and she's on a mission to find Drake because her Instagram is nothing but Lottie, Lottie, Lottie. Lottie being her and main character, Ern, played by Donald Glover's daughter. Um, or daughter. <laughs> main character, Ern, played by <laughs> Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino. I'm sorry. Um, her Instagram is nothing but Lottie, Lottie, Lottie. Uh, chicken. <laughs> and some old pictures of Ern. So she's trying up her Instagram game. So, so she's trying to get a picture with a Drake. I mean, they're at this house party that Drake is throwing for New Year's Eve. People are on Instagram posting photos with Drake. So she knows it's just a matter of time before she finds him. Well, what she does find is his coat from Hotline Bling, which she then steals. And then also his 
grandfather who happens to be Mexican. And the whole punchline at the end of the show is, you guys, Trick is Mexican. But of course, Justin Bieber is black in this universe. Shout out to Vajiva. I didn't lift that directly from their review, their recap. But the uh, grandfather, whoever it is, points to a calendar and Drake is on his Euro tour. So he's not even there. So who the hell are people taking pictures with? Glad you asked. They're taking pictures with stand-up cutouts of Drake. And uh, I think they're charging $50 a picture. And then they doctor it up and you can put it on your gram. Just like that. You got a picture with Aubrey Graham. So you need to be watching Atlanta, man. Oh, and as far as the friend goes. As far as the friend goes. She was okay. She was saved by my favorite character on the show, Darius. Played by Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, Lakeith was friends with Drake's cook or something. And he was able to get in. Don't quote me on the entrance. And then he runs into the, the friend who was tripping off an edible. And gets her calmed down, and they talk deep philosophical shit that only Darius can. No paper boy, no, no paper boy or earn in this episode, but another home run for Atlanta. I love his television show, and I'm gonna be really sad when I I just have a feeling we're gonna get there's gonna be an announcement, and they're like Atlanta will not return. Don't want to do it anymore. Donald Glover's out. Because that's the kind of person that Donald Glover is. But I mean, if he's making a community movie, I guess I really couldn't be too mad. So here's the topic. That wasn't my topic. That was just my recommendations. Oh, um, any podcast? Oh, yeah, I got one quick podcast one. Uh, ENC's podcast of awesomeness. Don't quote me on that, but that's Edge and Christian's podcast. Uh, they had Bret Hart and Stone Cold on uh, the same episode and it's uh, a set for a show they call Anatomy of a Match and what they do is have the two wrestlers go over everything that happened in one of their classic matches and so Bret and Sean break down their classic match at Wrestlemania 13 good stuff there for any of my wrestling fans I know there's a ton of you because I, I just have this feeling that a lot of y'all, a lot of people, look at WWE, but they don't call themselves fans. I'm calling you out right now. We're not going to get too much into this right now, because I haven't watched the last three episodes officially, but I, but I do know what happens. But I came up with a theory on The Walking Dead for... Angel, and essentially, I told her this would happen. That everybody died, except for Rick. Rick, deeply saddened, goes back to the prison because he wants to kill himself in the same room where Lori died. Goes to the prison, fights his way through countless walkers, all the way back inside, gets to um, gets to the room where Lori died. And where that zombie ate her many moons ago at this point. He's getting ready to kill himself and then a loudspeaker comes on. And it says... 
The winner of the 76th annual Hunger Games is Rick Gross. And then essentially I told her that uh, Rick had been in the middle of a Hunger Games. And that's what the zombie apocalypse was. He had memory implants and none of this was real. He didn't know who he really was. And I stopped the story or really she kind of stopped me. When I got to the point where I was like, and he's on his way to the Capitol and then she, she's like, all right, that's enough. But that's how Walking Dead Season 8 ends, y'all. It's all the Hunger Games, the whole eight season before this. And Rick is announced as the winner of the Hunger Games. And then he's going back to the Capitol to see whoever the hell's in charge. My mom hasn't decided yet. This episode is brought to you by water. Chia. So I'm going to talk about movies this episode. And I'm going to talk about movies until I hit an hour. <laughs> and then I'm going to stop. A while ago, I started this list of movies I can't turn off. And you know those movies where... It's exactly like I said. You'll be flipping through the channels. M- might even be try- like in- like on commercial watching a game or something. And then... You look up and it's like, oh shit, I love this movie. And this is a scenario where you're able, like, it doesn't matter that you're leaving it on. So it's not like there's other people in the room and be like, hey, yo, turn back to the game, bro. Or significant other is not going to be like, yo, I don't want to watch this. This is trash. Or, you know, just want to, or you have kids where it's like, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this, Daddy. I don't like this show. Or they're not old enough. This is a scenario where you're watching TV and you have control of the remote control. And you see this movie's on. And you're like, I'm going to watch this movie. Forget the game. Forget whatever else I was watching. Uh, I was supposed to go do this with my friends or run out here and do this. It's a, it's a lazy Sunday afternoon. I'll go a little bit later. I'll go after this goes off. I have a whole list of stuff I've listed. A list of stuff I've listed. Podcasting 101. And I'm just going to pick the very first thing. Well, not the very first thing, but I'm going to pick out a movie that I really love. And I may, I'm pretty sure I talked about it before on the podcast, but guess what? You're going to get it again. So in 1995, Whoopi Goldberg did a sports movie where she was a head coach of a professional team. That professional team happened to be the New York Knickerbockers. And for enunciation purposes, the New York Knickerbockers, because that didn't sound right the first time it came out. The New York Knicks. How did Whoopi Goldberg end up in this predicament? I'm glad you asked. Well, I don't remember what Whoopi was doing before at the start of this movie, but she was a diehard Knicks fan. And I believe she had season tickets. Which is like, oh man, that's pretty big. I mean, 
season tickets, 95 for the Knicks. That's awesome. But Whoopi's also a broke ass. Whoopi had nosebleed season tickets to the Knicks because she loved the Knicks so much. Well, Dennis Farina is a coach of the Knicks, and the Knicks aren't doing too hot. Knicks are powered by uh, Malik Seeley, R.I.P. Um, Tra- Tracy, Tracy, ah, oh, Tracy chosen to. He, he talks in third person like The Rock for most of the movies. Hilarious. Rick Fox, everybody's most hated NBA player of all time, is in this movie. A couple players make appearances from other NBA franchises like Larry Johnson and Muggsy Bugs for the Hornets. And uh, your boy, uh, I, I keep thinking of him as a hacker from Bad Boys, but he was on the Bad Boys teams. John Sally is in this movie. He's on the Knicks. But the Knicks are bad. Dennis Farina's their coach. Things are just not going well. Well, the Knicks have been purchased by a Texan. That's right. So his first night coming down, he he walks into the center of the floor on a horse. Introduces himself. And, of course, New New Yorkers are like, WTF, what is this, you know? And somehow, Eddie gets selected to, maybe, maybe I want to say she got selected to shoot, some, be in some kind of, like, contest in between play. I haven't watched this movie in a few years, and I love this movie, and it's never on anymore because it's trash. I'll honestly tell you it's trash, and I love this trash. A lot of these, a lot of these aren't going to be A plus 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 plusers. Just a warning. But Eddie comes down, and I I don't know what she did, but anyway, the crowd immediately falls in love with her. Uh, the owner was out there and saw the crowd's reaction to Eddie, and you know things progress from there. So the Knicks are still terrible. Dennis Farina sucks as Knicks coach. As the more Nick home games come up, the new Texan owner, Texas, the new owner from Texas finds more and more ways to incorporate Eddie into the night-to-night program. Like, I think at one point she actually is sitting on the bench because the crowd loves her. And... She she's like the big, the most popular thing at the Knicks game is Eddie because the Knicks are so trash. So anyway, Farina gets sick of this shit with this with Eddie being a sideshow and well the, with Eddie being the main attraction and Knicks being a sideshow. And I believe he is the fire is fired, and then uh, the the owner's like, no, uh, uh, you you're getting. I believe he quits, and then the owner's like, no, you're fired. Could have been vice versa. You're fired. I, I quit. So Dennis Farina is no longer coaching Knicks. They need a head coach for the Knicks. Who better but Eddie? That's right. Whoopi Goldberg is the new coach of the New York Knicks, and the Knicks are still trash. But what Eddie does is, because she has that feminine touch, she starts really getting to the players. Instead of it being your typical, your atypical coach and player relationship, she's actually building strong 
bonds with these players and friendships with these players. And she wants to know about their lives. And she actually ends up helping Rick Fox not be a cheating dog anymore. And then there's other things that she helps with. Um, including one of my favorite things in the movie. There is a center called Yvonne. He can't. He doesn't say much. I want to say he's played by Dwayne Jensen's. I know that's wrong, but anyway, he's in this movie, and all he says is Yvonne make basket. Yvonne make basket, and she's like Yvonne take charge, and he won't take a charge. He'd be scared. So Eddie's trying to teach him how to take a charge, and at one point, uh, Malik Seeley's character, she's like, come in, come in, come at me, and I'll show you how to take a charge. And Malik Seeley and her is clashing because he's a superstar, and now. Eddie is here, and now it's not feed the ball to Tracy, whatever my name is. It's let's kind of develop some team ball and good practices and actually be a good team. Which is difficult for him. So he dunks on her, and she took the charge and everything. But uh, as thing, time progresses, the Knicks start to get a little bit better. They start winning. They weren't that far out where they can't make a run at the playoffs. T- towards season then. So it's going to come down to a final game between them and the Charlotte Hornets, coached by, you guessed it, Dennis from Dennis. Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina got fired and the Hornets hired him. Chia, chia, chia. But meanwhile, owner from Texas has been trying to sell the Knicks to Texas, I believe. He wants to move the team out of New York. To Texas. Eddie finds out about this. Eddie is pissed. But of course there's nothing she could do. I mean, she has her dream job. Why? I mean, she's in this stuck in a rock and a hard place, you know? She can't leak into the media. She can't say anything. Essentially comes down to... Uh, Knicks and the Hornets are playing. They play a first half. I believe the Knicks are losing. Uh, she's losing the team because... Essentially, she's she's kind of distanced herself from the players because of everything that's happening. Uh, rousing halftime speech. She comes back out. And at halftime, I think she tells everybody in the crowd that the owner wants to move the Knicks to Texas. Pretty much holds them at ransom to tell all the fans at MSG that he's not going to move the Knicks to Texas. And then she makes them sit down on the bench <laughs> for the rest of the game. And then the Knicks pull themselves together for um, their big game, their big second half against the Hornets. I don't think it came down to a final shot. It was something along the lines of they were up, and then Larry Johnson charged Lane against Yvonne. The whole movie's been about Yvonne learning how to take a charge. Yvonne takes the charge. He hops up and goes, Yvonne, take charge! Movie ends. Coolio's uh, all the way live plays. And that's in the movie. I love that freaking movie so much. I I might have to make myself a note to buy Eddie on DVD. Uh, here. ASAP. Because I love this movie it's stupid how much I love this movie Stacy Patton that was his name that was Malik Searley's character I probably butchered some of the plot 
But honestly, I just love this movie. I know I just said that, but take it with a grain of salt, though, because a lot of people think Eddie is trash and it didn't do well at the box office. But one of my dream interviews would ha be to have 30 minutes with Miss Ms. Goldberg just to talk about this movie. <laughs> I'm not even lying. Like, oh, you want to talk about Color Purple? You know, um, my stand-up career, The View. I'm like, no, no, Miss Whoopi. Um, I, I just want to talk about Eddie. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't care. You want me to feel bad? Too bad. So the next movie on my list is a more recent movie. And Eddie came out in 96, by the way. Next movie on my list is a more recent film. It came out... Let me guess. So the third one just came out in 17, towards the end of there. So if we're going with the every two years path, I'd say the first one came out in 13, maybe? Pitch Perfect. Now, if, if you've listened to 60 episodes of Hyphen Nation, if you've listened to everything that's come before, I really don't know how you'd be surprised when certain things come out of my mouth. Like, oh, why are you watching Pitch Perfect? That's a chick flick. Pitch Perfect is hilarious. Hilarious. And ever since it got on formerly uh, ABC Family Freeform. Shout out to the sponsor, Water. Freeform has been playing the crap out of Pitch Perfect. And Pitch Perfect works. Because it... I mean, honestly, let, let's look at the premise. So here's the premise. Um, Semi-rebellious... Uh, teen goes off to college um, to make her father happy. She runs into a, a group of so-called misfits who also happen to be an acapella, an acapella singing group. Hijinks ensue, and, and soon, whatever her name is in the movie, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on actual uh, on Anna Kendrick's. Um, Whatever Anna Kendrick's character is in this movie, she soon falls in with these misfits. Can Anna learn to um, spread her wings and let other people in, or is she ultimately, or is she ultimately do, ultimately going to Aka fail? <laughs> so on paper, it looks like shit. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. But the reason it works is one, the cast. They surrounded. Kendrick with an eclectic cast of characters. You got my boo, Elizabeth Banks. What up, Elizabeth? Uh, holding down commentary duties with that other guy who's in a bunch of movies. And I'm sorry I don't know your name. I don't think you're Fred Willard. Fred Willard is older. Um, but I know your face. You've been in a lot of stuff. And you're funny, too. Then, on the actual... Uh, what? Oh, I can't remember the damn group's name. I love this movie, but everything's blanking on me right now. Uh, the, the acapella group that she's part of, the... I'm not, I'm not one on one it. She's in an acapella group at her college. Then there's a leader, her, and she's played by Anna Camp. 
Um, and Anna Camp has some particularly hilarious scenes. You have Brittany um, Snow from that movie where homeboy Jesse McCartney did the three did the front flip dunk. Um, the one where hit her and Ashanti are trying to get revenge on him for dating all the girls at once. That's not a movie I'll stop for, but I have seen that a few times. It's okay. It's whatever. Um, so you have Brittany Snow, Rebel Wilson, and this movie, along with her appearance in, I guess, Bridesmaids and then some other things she was doing at the time, this movie is largely responsible for how, um, how, um, <laughs> uh, how big Rebel Wilson's career has gotten in the past few years. Because, I mean, she started her own films, and, I mean, she's damn near the second biggest star in the Pitch Perfect series now. You have... I can't think of her name, but she's a she's an actual singer who's been on many songs and has written countless number of songs. She's the black girl who is also the lesbian in the group. The, there's the little Asian girl who talks like this. It's hilarious, but when she says something, she's saying something really fucked up and it throws you off. It ends up she's a phenomenal beatboxer. It, the whole thing works because on top of that, not only do you have this great cast to make up the girls' acapella group, then you have the boys' acapella group led by Anna Kendrick's love interest, who actually is now Anna Camp's husband. Go figure. I would guess that they, I would care to guess that they met on Pitch Perfect and now they're married. So that was Pitch Perfect. Ding! Um, and of course, you have the dude from Workaholics. And who played Haley's boyfriend for a while in Modern Family. He's the leader of the boys group. And they, they kind of give them a rival, so to speak, without it being too messy. You know, without being too over the top with it. So they have a rival to go against. And, and then the music has a lot to do with it, too. Because as cool as I saw the sun is and that little blase, blase production that the group was putting on at the beginning of the movie like when they do the the face off and then the girl group hits no diggity it's it's pretty fucking cool i'm sorry every time they do that it, it just like it just stops it's going down face of black sheet the homies got at me collab creations funk like that no doubt i don't even i don't know the words i know how it goes but my enunciation on the Dre part on No Diggity will never be perfect. It will never be pitch perfect. Ding! Um, but I, I just think it's a funny movie and it's heartwarming. I mean, you got your little love story with Anna and the um, her, her dude from the dude's acapella group. You got lots of funny scenes. It's not... It does have a few gross-out moments, but it's not too over-the-top where it's like I, like, I can't believe this. This is stupid. The gross-out moment is pretty stupid, but it also works. Um, another one of my favorite scenes in the movie, as this Escalade drives by me. Like, seriously, I'm recording a podcast, and 
I, I'm in the mall parking lot, the Morgantown Mall parking lot, and cars just seem to blatantly go out of their way to go by. Are you fans? Are you listening to the show? How about you hit me with five stars on iTunes, bro? Anyway, they're all on the bus heading to the big competition, and they do this rendition of um, Molly Cyrus's uh, Party in USA, which I really like. And yes, I liked that song even before um, that movie, <laughs> before Pitch Perfect came out. Um, and then we got Bangers, so whatever that is. Um, I feel like I say um way too much, by the way, so I apologize in advance for that. And then the final song, when Anna leaves and then Anna comes back and they formulate their big plan and they make it to the finals... And they've never beaten, they haven't won a title in years. And then when they come together right now over me and do that final uh, mashup blend, like you got to watch that whole thing all the way through. It's impeccable. It's impeccable. I mean, for all the silliness and other things that you, you sit through, even if you don't like none of the other stuff, none of the... Eye candy. I'm sorry to put that hat on real quick, but I'm just saying, if you don't like any of the other things going on Pitch Perfect, when you see that final number, and even the dudes' acapella group, their final number is dope, too. They do bright lights in a big city, and it's awesome. When the girls did their final number, though, that, that pretty much is the nail in the coffin that this is a great movie. So, Pitch Perfect will be the next movie that I just can't turn off. So I did a little addendum because I thought about this as I was talking about Pitch Perfect there. Before I get to Shawshank, because everybody loves Shawshank. Before I get to Shawshank, let me talk about um, Love Don't Cost a Thing. Love Don't Cost a Thing. 2003, I believe. Stars... Everybody's favorite black comedian slash actor. <laughs> Stars everyone's favorite comedian slash actor. He wouldn't be everybody's favorite if I'm calling him black. Excuse me, Nick Cannon. And this is when Nick Cannon was transitioning from Nickelodeon into starring in some more movies. And he released his debut album as well, including hits. Um, like, um, oh, what was the one song? Because I know there was actually a couple joints I liked, but he had a song where essentially the dad didn't like him. I don't remember what that was called. That's the one I was singing. I was like, I really don't like this dude. Um, but anyway, Nick Cannon stars alongside a. Christina Emilion. Christina Emilion. I'm really, I'm not Googling. And it's a remake of a previous movie. It wasn't called Love the Don't Cost a Thing, but it's essentially your classic story of Geek, played by Nick Cannon, does huge favor for beautiful girl, Christina Emilion. As beautiful girl to help make him popular and she does and in turn they 
as they hang out and spend more time together, uh, the the beautiful girl realizes the nerd isn't as nerdy as she she thought, and they she falls for him. In the meantime, the nerd is also falling for her, but then the popularity just gets to be too much, and then that's the conflict that splits them up. And then ultimately, people are forgiven, apologies are issued, the beautiful girl and the geek end up together, and then the movie ends. And that's essentially what Love Don't Cost a Thing is. The reason I like this movie is it's one of the first... I'm not going to give it credit as a black film that it was all done by black black people, but I will say that it's the first film on the list that stars stars black actors. Uh, And I I can kind of really relate to the story because I want to say the dude's name in the movie is Simon. Don't quote me. But his mom and dad, his dad's played by Steve Harvey, um, have raised him to be this bright young kid uh, living living in Los Angeles, I believe, definitely in the uh, California area. Have raised him to have the best chances to succeed in life and go on and do major things. He's uh, Alvin, and he's also worked hard. I just finally I went Simon instead of Alvin to uh, get scholarships, and he, him and his friends at school were working on this major. Um, project that's going to get them scholarships and set them for college for life. What happens is Christina, Christina Milian's character, does she hit him on the bike? Or does she just get in an accident near him? She wrecks her mom's car. She took her mom's car without permission, wrecks it. And somehow Alvin is nearby or either Alvin's involved in the accident. Alvin comes, checks out the situation He's into mechanics and stuff because they're like building this kind of car is what they're doing for the big project. Um, some kind of engine dealio. And Christina's going to kill me. Blah, blah, blah. I'm supposed to take a car. And Alvin, who's always had a crush on this girl and known her his whole life. And then, of course, she's gotten popular. He never did. She acts like he doesn't exist. He's like, look, I I have the part. I have the money for You'd be able to fix this car. Your mom will never know. You got to pay me back, though. And well, does he even ask to be paid back? Though is a thing. I I think he was because I, I think I think that there was money involved too that she did that she wanted to pay him back as well. But he also wanted to be popular. He, he wanted to know what it felt like to be popular. I mean, he's a senior in high school. So she agrees, car's fixed, mom never finds out, and then she starts bringing him around her popular friends as her new boyfriend. And the more I think about it, this really isn't a black film because only a couple of the leads are black. I think the rest of the school is mostly white other than your token black guy here or there. Um, and there's another um. So she gives him a makeover Make some 2003 cool up up to the velour sweatsuits. Uh, takes his afro and twists it so uh, that he has a more relaxed style. Headbands abound. And then 
as they, like I said, they spend more time together, get to know each other. He finds out that she's really into music, and he's encouraging her to pursue her dreams. And she's like, I mean, he tells her what he's into and things like that. And you can you can see that she's starting to fall for him. But then all the popularity is going to his head that he's getting from everybody else and her clicks. So eventually, they end up breaking off their fake relationship. He, I'm pretty sure he hooks up with a friend. I think he does. Alvin's behavior gets to be really weird because he's popular all of a sudden. His parents notice. Uh, his dad has an idea that involves a girl. So a hilarious scene with Steve Harvey bringing Alvin a box of pornography and condoms. Essentially a, a man starter kit in his eyes. But by the end of the movie... Uh, everything comes out that she made that Christina made a deal with Alvin. Alvin's uh, Christina's character made a deal with Alvin in order for them to uh, get the car fixed. And everybody's like, "Oh, you're a fraud!" And you know. And so Alvin goes and apologizes to his friend, explains what happened. Uh, they understand. They make up, and then him and Christina Milian's character end up making up, and then they end up together. And then that's how the film ends. It is a stupid-ass rom-com. But Love Don't Cost a Thing is on. I'm watching that. I'm watching it. Watching that bad boy. Let's get to something actually good, though. Before y'all turn off this episode. Shawshank Redemption. Y'all know Shawshank. Shawshank is the reason that Morgan Freeman is, is seen as one of the best narrators of all time. Because he narrated Shawshank and also acted in it as well. Tim Robbins plays the lead character. Wrongly accused of murder. Sent to prison where he meets Red. And in the book, Things You May Not Have Known. Shout out to um, Things You Didn't Know. I believe that's on Cinefix. The Cinefix channel on YouTube. Uh, they, they have this series where... Uh, well, actually, this isn't even things you don't know. They have the, the book versus the movie series where they'll show the differences between the movies and the books of things and and then show you what actually made the same. But in the Shawshank one, Red was a white Irish dude. And then obviously, Morgan Freeman was cast as Red in the movie. So it's a callback to the book when Andy asked um, Red, he's like, Red, how'd you get that name? And then Red's like, I don't know. Guess got some Irish in me or something like that. That's a shout out to the book by Stephen King, the short story. Shawshank is undefeatable. Andy goes to prison, fights off the sisters for years and years before he starts cooking the warden's books, and then finally uh, the head guard takes out the main sister, and then he, he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. You get introduced to a colorful cast of characters, including the older prisoner who had the bird, Jake. I th he had to let Jake go because he actually got pardoned. Not pardoned. He uh, got paroled. He went out there in the real world and he didn't make it, I don't even want to say, a month and a half before he realized that he could never live on the outside again because he had spent his whole life in prison and he ended up killing himself. Um, you have the side story of 
Andy finding ways to break the rules within the prison and getting thrown in the hole repeatedly. Red finding th- ways to find Red finding ways to bring things into the prison for Andy. Um, the young guy who had details that could possibly help Andy clear his name and get out of prison that the warden had shot. Iconic scenes like the Victrola playing opera to everybody in the yard. Uh, the beers on the roof when they were doing the free roofing and Andy almost got himself thrown over the roof by that head guard. But thankfully he talked his way out of it and he said he got a bottle of suds for doing tax advice and I, I believe that's how Andy got his foot in the door as far as actually doing taxes for all the guards and eventually up to the warden where he started cooking the books. Just, just, there's so much story here. And Shawshank is one of those movies that you don't want to end. Because when Shawshank's over, it's like, oh man, like I, I could watch, I could keep watching it, but who really wants to watch Shawshank Redemption 2 Retirement, you know? Um, that might be an SNL sketch, though. Um, see if Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman are available sometime. Gambino, I know you're listening to the show. You're going to be on there May 5th. You got a few more weeks. Head up Morgan Freeman. Head up Tim Robbins. Shaw Shank to retirement. Print it. Print money. Directed by Frank Darabont, who did the first season of The Walking Dead before he felt like he was getting screwed out of creative control. And ultimately, we all see that he was. <laughs> and that Kirkman was be having was being too heavy-handed over the show, and ultimately, this is true. Great performances all around in this film. Made, like, no money at the box office. But, of course, it fell into cult status on home video, and is a beloved film to this day, even still. And Andy Dufresne got out. Crawled through miles upon miles of shit to do it. But Andy Dufresne got out. Red got paroled. He broke his parole instead of killing himself where he was damn near at. Because he had been in prison so long. And went and found Andy's map to find his friend. You want to see some bromance? Red and Andy is bromance goals. Just say Back to the lighter side of things. And I guess these can kind of go hand in hand. Talladega Knights and Step Brothers. Yeah. I saw Talladega Nights for the first time. I didn't even know it was coming out like that. I, like, I might have saw some things. But I don't remember being like, yo, I gotta go see Talladega Nights, man. I, I just gotta go see it. I think it was Ed who really wanted to go see Talladega Nights because he was a Will Ferrell, a big Will Ferrell guy. And so me, Angel, and Ed and his ex-girlfriend, um, well, not his ex-girlfriend, and his now ex-girlfriend, Carrie, we all went to the mall to see uh, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, starring Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, who, well, we're not going to talk about that yet. 
Talladega Nights is so funny. Um, start to finish. Just in case you don't know, Ricky Bobby's dad was a race car driver. And he wasn't home much. It was mostly just Ricky and his, his mama, played by Jane Lynch of Glee fame. So, so this is what happens. One day, Reese Bobby walks into Ricky Bobby's elementary school for uh, career day. He tells everybody, I'm a race car driver, blah, 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 and, and I'm best there is, best there was, best there ever will be, and if you're not first, you're last. Well, Ricky Bobby takes that last sentence, which was actually in the movie, to heart. If you're not first, you're last. Then his dad disappeared out of his life. Hadn't seen his dad again since that day. Took the last thing his father said to him, if you're not first, you're last, and made it his code of life. So Ricky Bobby and his friend... Cal Naughton Jr. wanted to be race car drivers. NASCAR drivers. So they end up on a NASCAR pit crew. And their team is losing a race really badly. Uh, the The elderly owner of this of this race race team is fed up with his driver. His son, who's learning the business and planning to take over for him one day, is also fed up with his driver and is in a loveless marriage with Mar- Molly Shannon, who likes to get drunk a lot and loves when the, the racetrack vibrates from all the cars whipping around it and gets off on it. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that in there. So the driver of the, of the stock car is like, yeah, whatever. Like He comes in the pit. And then they're ready for him to go back out, and he's nowhere to be found. He's eating. He's like, oh, whatever. We're losing. They need somebody to drive this car. Ricky Bobby is chosen. Magically. So Ricky Bobby gets in his car, and he doesn't win the race, but he makes a furious comeback to place somewhere near the top. And... The elderly owner is so impressed that he makes Ricky Bobby his new driver and fires the other guy. And eventually, Cal Naughton Jr., Ricky Bobby's best friend, also becomes a stock car driver for the same team. So they have achieved their dream. They're racing NASCAR. Ricky Bobby is the baddest dude around. He wins races. Plain and simple. What he doesn't win is championships and sponsorships because of his rude behavior constantly to whether on the track or just for his antics with different um, different things that he does. So the sponsors of the cars are never happy. Now his sponsorships are fine. He sponsors everything. Mountain Dew, Chicken, Big Red, Veal Chew, Big Red, and fuck you. Like all that stuff. But elder owner of the race team has passed away, so it's now the son's team, and he's never liked Ricky Bobby. Thinks Ricky Bobby's costing him money. He wants to win championships. Ricky Bobby's not interested in it. He only wants to win races his way. So, um, Ricky Bobby gets married to Leslie Bibb. Knockout. Knockout in this movie. Absolute knockout. Uh... And then Ricky Bobby has a crash at Talladega. I'm pretty sure it was at Talladega. 
and he he comes out of it with a broken arm. And he can't race for a while. So there's this there's a F1 driver they bring in, played by the guy who played Borat. And one of his better non-Borat or any of whenever it wasn't his movie, he's actually really good in this. And then there, he's also really good in Sweeney Todd, too. I believe he was the inspector, I think. Don't quote me, but he definitely is really good in that, too. So, Ricky Bobby can't race. He brings in this F1 driver. And he's like, hey, we just brought in this guy. He's going to win his championships. So, he has a face-off with this European stud who's being brought in to be the stock car, be the new stock car driver for him. And then essentially gets to compromise the position. And the the European driver threatens to break it, break Ricky Bobby's arm. Ricky Bobby says, Break it! I don't care. He's like, say you like, say that you love France or something like that. He's like, no. He's like, say that you love crepes. He's like, I do love crepes. He's like, yeah, there's just little pancakes. He even says, say you like little pancakes. And then him and Cal talk, which is the bad idea, and then breaks his arm. So Ricky Bobby. Wait, he broke his arm then? Okay, maybe Ricky Bobby wasn't hurt before then. Maybe he just, it was all mental, and then he got his arm broke by the Euro guy. But then he tried to race, and it was bad, because he's scared of racing now after his crash. Um, oh, is that, oh, okay, wait, it was after the crash. I'm sorry, after the main crash, he ends up in the hospital. And then Michael Clark Duncan is his pit crew leader, and then Cal comes to see him in the hospital. And... Cal is like, tells him that you spread his butt cheeks as Mike Honcho in Playgirl magazine. <laughs> and then Michael Clark Duncan's talking to him. And then he's playing in a wheelchair basketball game. So Michael Clark Duncan and uh, Cal are talking to the doctors. And he's like, is he ever going to walk again? And he's like, oh, he's fine. He just found that. And he won't get off it. And so there's this classic scene where... Ricky Bobby's in a wheelchair to try to tell him he can walk, and it's all in his head. And so Ricky Bobby's like, says to Michael Clark Duncan Jr., Michael Clark, Michael Clark Duncan's character, he's like, I hope you have, you have beautiful children, boys, and I hope they lose the loss of their legs. And then Michael Clark Duncan comes back with one of my favorite quotes of all time. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that evil on me. You can walk. You can walk. And then Will Ferrell takes a knife and sticks it in his leg. I'll show you how I feel anything. And then he's like, ah, I can feel it. And he pulled a knife out. Anyway, Ricky's lost his mojo, loses his wife to Cal because Cal's an idiot. And, and his wife wants to stay with someone who actually has money, <laughs> who's racing still. So she divorces Ricky and gets married to Cal. Cal moves back in with his, I mean, Ricky Bobby moves back in with his mother. And then he's delivering pizzas on a bike because he's scared to drive. And he makes a pizza delivery to a hotel room, and it's his dad. His dad. His dad, Reese Bobby. Reese is back to give Ricky his mojo. Um, show him how to race again. So, hijinks ensue. Ricky has really bad kids who have some quotable things in there, and his mom kind of whips him into shape over the course of the end of the movie. Ricky ends up overcoming his fear of driving. Um, he gets his own stock car. He, uh, his ass assistant... Amy Adams for early in the movie falls in love with her and they hit it off. And so he's racing for himself. His his number on his car is me. So it's Ricky Bobby versus his former friend Cal and the European driver who's been kicking ass and taking names. 
Cal ends up helping him like old times, and they kind of make up. So Shake and Bake becomes um, El Diablo, and uh, it's not going to come to me. Shake and Bake and El Diablo. and well, I can't remember what Cal's name is. So they make up. Cal and Ricky Bobby are good. And then both the European driver and Ricky Bobby crash their cars. And they're both okay, but they want to see who's going to win this race. So they literally race on foot to the end. Ricky Bobby wins. And then the European driver plants a big kiss on Ricky Bobby. Because now that someone's actually defeated him, he's going to retire um, with his lover, Andy Richter. And that'll be it. And that's how the movie ends. I love Ricky Bobby. I love the ballad of uh, Ricky Bobby. There, there's, It's just pitch perfect. Ding! I'm having a lot of fun. Step Brothers. Same actors. John C. Riley and Will Ferrell are two grown-ass men in their early 40s who live at home with their parents. They're single, divorced parents. I don't, I don't know if either... Well, I'm pretty sure I got... No, no. I, I believe they're both widowers. Mary Steen Burgeon is Will Ferrell's mother. Hi, Mary. I don't know the actor who plays John C. Riley's character's dad. But he's also funny in this movie. Single mom and dad meet up, fall in love, get married, and suddenly these 40-year-old men who are two grown babies who can't do anything for themselves and act like they are between the ages of anywhere between 6 and 14 at any given moment are now stepbrothers and they hate each other. Hijinks ensue. They move in together. They hate each other. They finally come to an agreement that they like each other, become best friends. Because of their antics and the refusal to grow up, they ruin their mom and dad's new marriage. Marriage. Will Ferrell's character has an awful, awful brother played by Adam Scott. He's the same guy who played Leslie Nope's love interest on Parks and Recreation. Has an awful brother. And Cal. John C. Riley's character actually starts an affair with his wife, who is unhappy with, with Will Ferrell's brother. Ultimately, the marriage dissolves. Everyone goes their separate ways. The boys are left to their own devices to decide what to do with their lives. Because their parents said, we're not taking care of you anymore. We refuse. So they grow up. They finally take mature steps. Will Ferrell gets a job with his brother. Uh, John C. Riley starts a catering business or joins a catering business. And then they all come back together. The mom, the dad, Will Ferrell, John C. Riley at the Catalina Wine Mixer thrown by Will Ferrell's brother. Big deal in, in the industry that he's in. And Will Ferrell's running it. Well, things are going badly. There's a Billy Joel cover group that only does songs from like 1986 on. Someone asked for a song before then. He gets angry and a band walks out. There's no band at the Catalina Wine Mixer. This is bad. This is real bad, Michael Jackson. 
So. And yes, I don't really recap movies. <laughs> I don't care. It's my podcast. Will Ferrell saves the day with his angelic singing. And John C. Riley joins him on drums. They save the day. Will Ferrell and his therapist, I think, have a thing. John C. Riley breaks off his affair with Will Ferrell's brother's wife. The mom and dad get back together. Life goes on with them being a little bit more mature, but still very much immature. And that's how Step Brothers ends. Another John C. Riley Will Ferrell joint, y'all. If that's on, I ain't missing it. I think it was, I, I got sick in February last year. Uh, just had a real bad stomach virus. I was down for a few days, and Step Brothers came on like three times. I watched that bitch every single time. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, next movie. The next movie that I can't turn off. Sorry, not sorry. Titanic. Now, y'all can miss me with all that Rose and Jack shit. Leo does nothing for me in this role. Kate Winslet is pretty good. I'm actually here for Billy Zane. I think he's awesome in his role. Kathy Bates. I actually feel like there's a reason that Leo didn't get nominated for this. And Kate did. Because Leo didn't do that damn good. He did what he had to. Keep getting them checks, Leo. But you can miss me with the romance. It's cute and all. Jack could have definitely fit on that board, on that door with Rose. There's plenty of room. But I get that that's not the same if Jack survives. You know, you don't get that memorable ending with them in heaven on heaven's Titanic. Like, of all the places that they would want to meet up in heaven, why Titanic? <laughs> with all their friends that they met on the Titanic. I mean, they weren't on there but what, six days? And it's like, oh, look at all these special people who's waiting for us in heaven who went down with the ship. It means, meant so much to us. That was like six days of your life. And the first thing you do is, okay, you go meet up with Jack. That's your true love. Fine. And Jack's just been hanging out on the Titanic. Like, is his soul trapped there or something? How about that? That's, that's a more interesting uh, thing to look into is, are the souls that, as everybody that shows up at the end of the Titanic, are their souls truly trapped on the Titanic forever? Does that mean Rose has trapped her soul there too because she wanted to be with Jack? These are the questions I need answered, people. Anyway, though. The reason the movie works so well for me, though, is Rose and Jack do have chemistry. They get along well. Leo and Kate work well together. All of that works. And without that working then you don't have it being the blockbuster that it was. The highest grossing movie of all time until Avatar beat it, I believe. Don't quote me, but I know that it was number one for a while. You don't have that. But then, it's the historical value of it. I, 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 I get into history. It's, it's a plus that Angel is a social studies history teacher West Virginia history teacher because we can we can almost nerd out a little bit together on history stuff and be really into it so 
Titanic being what it was, a, a huge catastrophic disaster, the largest ocean liner ever going down, that already interests me. Then you bring people into it, you bring in this interesting kid, Jack, and this, this debutante, if that's the right word, Rose, and Rose is tired of her family, and she doesn't really love her fiance, and seems like she's missing a spark. She meets Jack. Jack's a spark. Jack shows her so much in the six, seven days they're actually, <coughs> excuse me, six or seven days they're actually together and then the ship goes down. I can miss the entire first part of Titanic up until I want to see pretty much I, I could come in around the time that Jack goes to dinner with Rose as their guest for saving Rose's life, even though they try to say that he was uh, trying to rape her. Billy Zane is so good in this movie. By the way, water's, water's still sponsored right now. The show's still sponsored by water. I love saying things wrong, apparently. It's so cool to do. But, listen... I don't remember where the scene falls where she gets painted but essentially miss me with all that introductions and oh he saved her and come be our guest at dinner whenever she goes to him and says paint me like one of your French girls I could come in on that scene TNT or uh, PG-13 version I, I don't really need um, Kate Winslet's boo um, I, I get it's there for dramatic effect and for affecting whatever goes on afterwards so with that said coming around the painting scene definitely bring me in at the dinner scene because they go to dinner and then Rose sneaks off with them and they go downstairs to the real party which is popping and then they have sex and then it was like right after sex is when the ship gets hit I think and I can't miss a minute of that ship going down. Hell no. Oh, I definitely don't care about Old Lady Rose, by the way, either. Heart of the Ocean, don't care. Daughter, the deep sea divers who's been looking for the Heart of the Ocean, don't care about any of that. I'm here for the boat going down. That's the best part, is the disaster. That's the best part for me, because honestly, it's the most true to life part of the whole movie. There was no Rose, there was no Jack, there was Kathy Bates' character. Obviously, Captain Smith was the captain. Like, some things you just can't change. But the ship and the disaster is what I'm here for. And every time it's on, I am here for it. I am 100% here for that ship going down. And I don't care. I don't feel bad. I'm talking like E-40. Ugh. Smell me. Smell to Delta. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got time for one more. Let me squeeze one more in here. The last movie. The last movie on the list for today is Hitch. Starring Will Smith and Eva Mendez. So, why is this a movie I can't turn off? It's just funny, man. It's funny has a creative story that I can get into. And it's it's just a solid Will Smith flick. And honestly, 
Hitch came out in what? 2006 or so? I'm guessing. It, it might be the last fully solid Will Smith film. Hancock was okay. That was like 2008 or so. And I thought uh, the zombie movie was okay too. Haven't really seen too much of his more recent work, like the Concussion movie. I haven't watched Bright. Um, I haven't watched Suicide Squad. It's any of that stuff you can't quote me on, but Hitch might be the last really good Will Smith movie. If you don't know, if you don't watch Hitch, essentially Alex Hitchens, I believe, is a love doctor. What he does is give men the tools in order to land the girl of their dreams. And he's he's essentially um he's he's quite successful. He only works with guys who honestly want to be in uh committed relationships. He doesn't do anybody who's trying to get a hookup or anything like that. He he's trying to find guys who just otherwise without his help wouldn't get the time of day from these women who are out of their league. It's a little manipulative, but in the same sense. He calls it getting a woman out of their own way. <laughs> so I don't know how, how good that flies in 2018. How good that flies. I don't know how well that flies in 2018. But he comes on the radar of Eva Mendez. There's this love doctor. He's um been... There's rumors of it, so she decides to look into it. Long story short, with uh, Hitch... He uh, was dumped by his girlfriend who he was extremely in love with because he was too clingy. And ever since then, he has had trouble maintaining a committed relationship while helping, let's say, dozens of other gentlemen uh, work get into committed relationships. Maybe, maybe even if, let's even give him, let's say he's helped 30 dudes. Let's give him a solid number. I think 30 dudes, say a business been up for like 18 months to two years. I think that's a good number. Successfully. I'm sure he had a number of failures too. Eva Mendez is a workaholic who won't allow herself to open up for love because she just won't stop working, <laughs> essentially. Her her life is her job. So they meet in the bar to have a little cute meet. Meet cute. Meet cute. Have a little meet cute. It's real adorable. Super adorable. Uh, he buys her a drink and poses her boyfriend and then he just dips out. And he ends up running to her again, I believe, and then asks her out. What happens with their relationship is a series of um, unfortunate events for Hitch. Uh, the first thing he did, he took her to Ellis Island to and sh to show her her great-great-grandfather's name in the register. And turns out he was a terrible criminal. And he missed that and was really hard on the family. So even Mendez got upset. So uh, they left tries for a second date they go to her boss's cooking demonstration some kind of cooking date kind of thing turns out he's allergic to something and his face swells up real big and that's hilarious but from there things start going well now back to the other side of the plot will's newest client is kevin james and kevin james wants to get with um this uh i don't call her debutante <laughs> um Eris, this Eris. Um, and he, he's worked for her company for a long time. 
and he starts getting advice from Will Smith, and then slowly he starts getting noticed by by this um, girl, and then they end up hitting it off, and they actually end up liking each other. So there's uh, the side plot is Alf Alfred, is that his name? Albert, and oh, it's not coming to me. And normally her name is like one of those that just comes in clear. It's just so unique. I can't think of her name. Alfred and the girl that he's in love with. So Will Smith hooks that up. Eva Mendez investigates. Eventually, she finds out that he was put, like, they were hooked up because of the love doctor. And uh, the the girl that Al Albert is hooked up with finds out. And she's upset. And so then there's your conflict there is is Albert and his girl aren't working or have issues. And then Hitch and Eva Mendez do hit it off. But then she finds out he's a love doctor. Oh, and then turns out that um, this scumball, who happens to be Michael from Burn Notice, uh, came, to, came to Hitch for advice to get with his girl. And then he says, I'm just trying to get in her pants. And Hitch is like, no, can't do it. Ends up hooking up with her anyway. And then the friend and then the girl ends up hooking up with ends up being Eva Mendez's best friend. So she thinks the love doctor is the reason that her friend ended up in this one night stand, not realizing what Hitch does. And then realizing it was Hitch, there's a big fight there. Anyway, in the movie, everything is resolved. Happy days. Um, now that we've found love plays, there's dancing. And that's the end. But, of course, one of the funniest scenes in the movie is Will Smith trying to teach Kevin James how to dance. And he's trying to teach him, this is where you live. This is where you live, right here. I can't snap right now because I'm holding the top of my hand. This is where he left. Right here. And then Kevin James does that. And then he hits that move on Usher's. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's pretty much over at that point. He slaps him across the face. Uh, it, Hitch has high replay, replayability for me. Because just looking at this list real quick, Eddie, high, all of these have high replayability. If I had to watch this movie over and over for, let, let's say somebody said, 24 hours of Step Brothers starts now on TBS. I'm going to watch it several times. Titanic, and you'd, you'd have me, I'd probably watch it. If I watch it all the way through, I only would come back for the disaster scenes after that. Hitch, I would watch all the way through. Shawshank, all the way through. Love Don't Cost a Thing would get on my nerves. I can't lie. As much as I do love that movie, it would get on my nerves. Pitch Perfect and Eddie, it's all good. One thing I left out about Eddie kind of put a neat little button on this whole episode is um, I actually like my dad used to have had to sit up right next to the TV. Like there's a TV, the VCR. Uh, then we had the 50 disc changer, the dual tape cassettes. Um, so what I would do is because we didn't have burning capabilities until like uh, 2000 when we got our computer it might have been longer than that. I don't think I was burning CDs until maybe 01 or so. Now the episode is brought to you by Dr. Pepper, by the way. Um, but regardless, I used to burn, I used to make tapes, record tapes uh, off of various CDs. Uh, it was all Pioneer, fed into one another. It was super easy to do. We'd record friends' CDs onto tapes, and I just started my Walkman. I was a... I was a Late hanger on to the Walkman. So if you're judging me for my my iPod Classic right now, imagine seeing your boy in high school in 2000, 2001 with a uh, Walkman listening to tapes. Because that's how I used to get down, man. I had 
tapes for days. My first demos were on tapes. I actually recorded Eddie to tape and would play it in my room from start to finish without the video and listen to the movie. It's the only time in my life I've ever done this. Listen to the movie from start to finish on a regular basis after this movie came out and I recorded it. I love Eddie, man. That's all I got to say. So I have a whole crap load more of these that we can get into. Uh, not today, obviously. But, uh... But, uh... <laughs> but if you enjoy this, if you like this episode, me just going through some movies and kind of recapping them and talking about them, if you like that, you're into that kind of thing, let me know, and I'll, I'll break out more of this list, because, excuse me, I only got into one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, I only did eight movies that I talked about, some longer than others, but I, I have a whole bunch more, and I could easily run across more that I want to talk about. So, let me know what you think of this, because I, I really enjoyed doing it. It was pretty easy to do, considering that this was a short notice. And with that said, with that said, episode 60 is in the books. If you want to be down with Hyphen Nation, go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review. You subscribe, you get all the episodes. You rate, uh, hit me with that five stars. More eyes will see the show thanks to the iTunes algorithm. Your review, I will, I will read it on the show, good or bad. I don't care. All criticism or um, all criticism and praise is welcome. Google Play Music for Android, my Android people out there. Same deal. Google Play Music hyphen nation. You subscribe, you get all the episodes right to your Android. There's a rate and review system there too. If you review there, I'll read it. Please rate the show the highest you can so the Google algorithm pick it up. That'll be awesome. Um, on this episode's page on hyphenpodcastgroup.com, at the bottom next to the little player, you'll see a link that says subscribe on Android. You click that. Android, their website will literally provide you with several podcast apps you can download to your Android phone so that you can, your Android phone, to your Android so you can listen to the show. So I don't want to hear, I don't know how to listen to a podcast. I don't understand. Just click that link if you're on Android and it'll work out from there. If you're on an Apple, if you're on an Apple, you won't have a phone. It'll be an actual Apple. If you're on an iPhone, go to the podcast app, hyphenation right in there, and that's the same thing as iTunes. Now, Stitcher, TuneIn, PocketCast, Player.fm, on the Blueberry directory for podcasts, YouTube.com slash B hyphen, all the episodes are up on there for your perusal. If you're into watching, listening to, uh, as Anthony would say, no, I don't care what Anthony says, I don't like what he says that. Um, if you're into listening to podcasts on YouTube, you can do it that way. I haven't fixed Mixcloud yet. I don't know if I'm sorry or not. Probably not. <laughs> hyphenpodcastgroup.com All the episodes are on there 
Every hyphen podcast group show is available on there. And every podcast that I've ever produced myself is available on there now. Only thing that's not on there is guest appearances. If you want to hear me on, hear one of my guest appearances on another podcast, go to hyphenuniverse.com and you'll be able to find them on there, like Better in the Dark. And I was on Views from the Long Box a long, long time ago at one point. And I was even on, oh, I was on my friend, Chris, Chris, my friend Chris Slater's podcast, Communication Breakdown. I was on there a few years ago talking about Soon You Understand and Turning 30. So you can check that out as well. Mark Robb, official sponsor of the Hyphen Nation podcast. Um, that is Marcus Show and Mad Love Robinson's website, the M-A-R-C dot, the M-A-R-C-R-O-B.wordpress.com. You go there, you're going to find insightful, non-drink views on all kinds of cool shit. And Marcus does a damn thing when it comes to writing. So make sure that you check that out. I mentioned hyphenuniverse.com is my official personal website. You go to Google, you go to Bing, type in hyphen nation podcast. You'll find the show on there as well. If you're curious, if you're just now hearing this, you're about to experience something so cold, man. Yeah. I kid you not. And finally, if you're in RSS feeds, feeds.feedburner.com slash hyphenation2016 redirects you to the new, RSS, the new RSS feed. If you go to the hyphenation page on hyphenpodcastgroup.com, you can get the RSS feed there. Take that RSS feed, turn that some bitch sideways, and put it into your favorite podcast listening device. And you can get all 60 episodes of fire. That's right. Did I sound like Jerry Seinfeld's dad right there? He was Jerry's dad, right? Um, and Siller's dad. Did that sound like him? Or is that, was he George's dad? I think he was George's dad. Did that sound like George Casanza's dad? I think I might have. But that's how that's done. If you're in RSS feeds. B-H-Y-P-H-E-N at gmail.com. At B-Hyphen on Twitter. Facebook.com slash hyphen universe on Facebook, obviously. The B-Hyphen on Instagram. Hyphen podcast group. Um, dot com. Hyphen podcast group at gmail.com is what I was trying to say. At hyphen pod group on Twitter. Facebook.com slash hyphen podcast group. As long as nothing happens, and again, thank you, Lord, for looking out for me yesterday. Um, you know what happened. <laughs> as long as nothing catastrophic happens between now and 5 a.m. tomorrow, you're going to get 60 tonight. Today is April the 19th. This episode is called All the Way Live. The deadline I was talking about was Marcus and I got together a few weeks ago and recorded episode 61. God bless Tony Stark. A retrospective of the Iron Man films and a preview of Infinity War. My goal was for it to come out the week before Infinity War dropped on April the 20th. Elias' fourth birthday. And Lord willing, I've made it I've pushed through these podcasts. 
I apologize if you felt like the quality's dipped. And I really blame it solely on the fact that I was trying to do so many at once. I hope you enjoyed these. And honestly, um, I had a guest lined up for 60. I was supposed to record with them last night. And then that didn't work out uh, due to personal reasons. Uh, we rescheduled for some time next week, so he will be on the show. But I was scrambling. I had no show at 8.30 last night. Having literally one day to get it. I either, because what I did is I made the artwork for 61 after Marcus and I did it. And he said, 61, you want to make it? And I said, yes. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> yeah. So, I've made it. That That is why I was pushing. So at 8.30 last night, I had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then I looked into my Google Keep. And I remembered I had this list of movies I can't turn off. And that is why this episode is so cut and dry and straight to the movies. Hashtag blessed. Wakanda forever. Apologies to Markel Fultz because your jumper is still trash. Even though you're in the playoffs right now. 60 episodes. When 61 comes out at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'll officially be back on schedule. Which means I can record 62 at a more leisurely place. More leisurely place, too. Next time. God bless Tony Stark. Co-starring Marcus Show and Mad Love Robinson. Our positivity is real. Get that negativity out of your life. Call your mom. Hug your dad. Dap up your brother. Play uh, hot hands with your sister. Write a letter. Send an email. Have genuine interactions with people because they can go a long way. They really do. Deadline met. Challenge accepted and completed. Appreciate each and every one of y'all that listened to the show. Who's been with me from the beginning or if you're just joining. Thanks, y'all.